the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Yes, it is, and welcome back as we head into hour two of our daily three-hour tour. From time to time here, we talk about constitutionalism. We have done coursework over the radio on going through the Bill of What Rights. We talk about a constitutional mindset, a Bill of Rights attitude. There are a few people in this country who are doing more to defend the First Amendment and educational rights as well as religious rights than Michael Ferris, the president and CEO of ADF Alliance Defending Freedom. I've known and uh, I've had the pleasure of knowing Mike uh, for many, many years back when I was uh, working in Washington, D.C. Again, few um, few scholars or attorneys I respect more than Mike. And uh, when talking about the various incursions, cribbings and stintings of the First Amendment that are taking place before us, uh, to put it no higher, someone like Mike and ADF are um, the great kind of auxiliary precautions and safeties that James Madison spoke of that we have now. I wanted to get Mike on to talk a little bit about threats to the First Amendment. Mike, welcome back to the Airwaves of Phoenix. Seth, it's always great to talk to you, my friend. You too, sir. You too. Before we get into uh, contemporary, although feel free to integrate it into your answer however you want, talk to me a little bit. Talk to the audience that may not be familiar with ADF and its record, the kinds of cases you have taken on, the kinds of things you guys do in our federal and state courts. Well, sure. Uh, ADF is a 27-year-old organization that's the largest uh, legal organization in the world working on religious freedom, right to life, uh, marriage and parents', parents rights, and the freedom of speech. We uh, regularly appear in the Supreme Court of the United States. We've been counsel of record in uh, 13 cases in the Supreme Court in the last few years and have won 12 of those cases. Uh, we did the Masterpiece Cake Shop case. Uh, we've done cases on uh, all, all the cases people see on uh, girls that are um, not wanting to be invaded by transgender males in their sports programs. We do our, we're do we doing several of those cases. We're all, all in the country that you've heard about. And we regularly um, defend freedom of speech on college campuses. By, by sheer number, that's our greatest volume of cases because college administrators haven't figured out that the free speech zone that we live in is called the United States of America. Nicely put, Mike. Thank you. Nicely put. The free speech zone is the United States of America. I'm going to come back to speech in a moment. I want to talk a little bit about the transgender thing you mentioned, the issue you mentioned there. It feels like this came like a speeding bullet yesterday, and the country is trying to just wrap its head, mind, and arms around um, on an almost daily basis. And there's more news by the day on it, more cases uh, more issues uh, by the day. So weird to so many, and certainly this audience, and I think in a lot of America, because is this part of the divide between the elites and the culture and the progressive left that's trying to foist itself on America? Or is it truly the case that these just weren't really issues until the progressives tried to make them an issue to help, oh, I don't know, 
to use a perhaps now familiar phrase, disrupt the Western family. Talk to me about this transgender issue. This is really roiling society in a way I didn't think it would. It, it is indeed. Uh, the invasion has been rapid fire, unexpected. Uh, you know, you, you could see it coming kind of in retrospect. Yeah. But you'd never think about the the speed in particular. Uh, you know, in fact, I, I think they've they've outpunted their coverage in in some respects. Interesting. They've gone so far, so fast. Interesting. That I think that the the backlash may really help us recover uh, some of the ground that we've slowly lost over the last decade or so. Um, but the you know the the idea that that men and women are not real concepts that that's the fundamental principle is that they they deny the reality of our God-created maleness and femaleness, and, and that everyone gets to create their own reality, and there is no absolute truth, uh, there is no real science, it's whatever you say. And, and, and But it's not whatever you say if you disagree with them, it's really whatever they say. Mm-hmm. It's, it's about power, it's about control, and, you know, the effect on kids is just phenomenal. I, I, I met with a parent uh, last night, uh, you know, junior high, um, ninth grade kind of years, his uh, two children. and So we're talking just, 14, 13, 14-year-olds, 14 12, yeah, 13, 14, it, okay. Mm-hmm. It's just a, a, a phenomenon, uh, you know, just a phenomenal growth pattern. You know, it, it's, it's, it's so uh, trendy to question your normal sexuality. And I think that the, the, what the schools are doing to portray everyone uh, who's, particularly if you're white, particularly if you're a Christian, particularly if you're male, but if you're any one of those things, you're an oppressor. Mm-hmm. So all the white people are oppressors. And how does a white kid get out of the oppressor status? Well, the way you can go from an oppressor villain to a victim hero is to change your sexuality. Right. And so the, the, the psychological pressure put on kids to do that, and, and just, you know, kind of the trendy faddish nature of it is driving a lot of just kids with, you know, normal kind of mixed up feelings that you have at, at, at those age. They, they assume that that's the cause, that's the problem. After, of course, the, the schools have been promoting this rapidly as a, as a great, wonderful thing. And so no wonder you're seeing these cases just explode, and parents are not happy about it. Uh, I mean, the, whether their kid is, is seeking to identify as, um, you know, something other than what, the way God made them, they see the threat to not only their own family, they see the threat to our country. And I, I think parents are going to uh, fire back on it in a big way. Mike, uh, to the audience that, uh, that, that knows you only th- through your work at ADF, um, Alliance Defending Freedom, I, I want to remind them or let them know that the reason there is such a thing in America called homeschooling is because of you. And based on that, you don't need to comment on that. I'll just thank you for it, as every homeschooling <laughs> family can thank you for it. But, Mike, um, tie that to the homeschooling movement as you see it today, because I think it's been demonstrable. We've talked about it on this show before. Some of my congressmen here have talked about it in the more conservative communities they represent. Americans are taking second and third looks at homeschooling and really deploying that option where they can as a result of this kind of – sorry to do this in front of you, Mike – this kind of crud. I'll use a Buckley phrase, junk thought. There you go. Junk thought. Yeah. <laughs> junk thought. Okay. okay. All right. Well, um, indeed. Uh, I mean there's 
there are good reasons to be looking for your alternatives because of the, all the very, very evil um, approaches that the public schools are taking these days. But you choose homeschooling ultimately because it's good for your kids. And in the, in the last year, homeschooling essentially doubled. And that's not counting the, the people that were just trying to do uh, whatever the public school told them from a computer. Right, computer you mean school. literal homeschooling, right. Right, they've, right. they've effectively said, I'm right. done with the public schools, we're taking full responsibility for the education of our children. So we went from 5% of the population to 10% of the population in one year. Uh, phenomenal growth. And it looks like the majority of that growth is going to be sustained through this next Good. next year. Good. And, and so... You know, all the things that we're talking about, the transgender stuff, the critical race. Theory. Yeah. Talk to me about CRT, because that's a big that's a big part yeah. of it, too. Yeah. Talk to me about your work on CRT. Well, CRT is, um, you know, an effort to try to uh, bring a new um, to split in the in the Marxist two two uh, camps of looking at things. You know, it used to be an economic divide right. between the rich and the poor. Right. And now it's between the white and the and the people of color is the is the theory and that you know we have the victims we have the, the oppressors and we've got to tear down the american society we've got to tear down the foundation the, the 1619 project at the heart of that and the president trump appointed this the seven uh, 1776 uh commission to uh work on uh, you know a proper approach to american history and he appointed me to the commission i was uh, glad to serve on that and, you know, what's going on uh, is, is trying to tear down individuals and trying to tear down our society by saying America was bankrupt. And critical race theory is seeking to impose a Marxist view of America and a Marxist view of the world. And they are, you know, very clear uh, that they, are, they take the position that, that the foundations, including the Bill of Rights, should, should be replaced. Uh, because they say the freedom of speech, for example, um, Professor at Georgetown Law School, buying into this, wrote in the Washington Post, that he no longer believes in freedom of speech for all. That he used to believe that, the classical liberal yep. theory of things, but he realized that, that freedom of speech is not advancing sufficiently progressive objectives, so he now jettisons freedom of speech. You know, so much for his oath as a lawyer to support and defend the Constitution of the United States. And the, you know, that's, you know, critical race theory aims at your children, aims at your country, aims at your constitution, and it seeks to supplant all those things with a Marxist, racist view of the world. Mike, thank you for that. Tell me, uh, looking at the year ahead, Supreme Court going forward next year, the kinds of cases you expect to be involved in, the kinds of issues you guys think the Supreme Court might take up or really needs to take up, certainly solidifying the issue of uh, um, small business, any businesses' rights, the Baker case that you were involved, right. that you guys right. led. Certainly that we would like to tighten up, obviously, too, right? Absolutely. Well, there are um, two major cases that we're focused on at the moment. Uh, first is the Dobbs case, the Mississippi 15-week abortion ban case. And uh, that case is going to uh, take a serious look at the underpinnings of Roe versus Wade and Planned Parenthood versus Casey, uh -huh. and the and the court is going to have the opportunity to reverse those terrible decisions. And you know, it's not a guarantee that they will will go that far, but um, the effort will be made to ask them 
to reverse Roe. And, and I, I believe that, that there's uh, a reasonable chance that the court will seriously consider that question. And, Good. of course, you know, with um, the, the appointments that President Trump was able to put on the court, our chances are materially improved as, as opposed to any other time. In I was going to say, history. if there were a chance or a constant, a constitutive, a constitutive body of judges on the Supreme Court, justice on the Supreme Court, that would be willing to look at it now more than ever is that time, I would think. That's yeah. right. Yeah. That's exactly right. Yeah. A second case of, of great importance is one that we're, we've just recently filed before the court, so they have not yet decided whether they will hear it in full. Uh, it's out of Seattle. It's, uh, we represent the Union Gospel Mission there. Mm-hmm. And uh, they have a legal clinic uh, for uh, homeless people there that they run. And the uh, like every um, component of the Union Gospel Mission program is gospel-based, mm-hmm. and they require everybody associated with the Union Gospel Mission to be um, uh, a person of the Christian faith and to subscribe to the beliefs that the Union Gospel Mission shares. And so, kind, kind of like a synagogue would hope that a rabbi believes in God, kind of thing. Exactly. Uh-huh. That, that's exactly. Okay. The point. All, right. All right. And and so uh, a lawyer who wanted to work at the homeless shelter, uh, gay, and does not agree with the the doctrinal statements of the the Salvation Army relative to sexuality, even though the the Salvation Army, excuse me, the Union Gospel Mission, rather, serves everybody. They don't care what your sexuality is. They serve everybody. This is about the people who minister there. And they say, we want people who minister here to share, both in terms of belief and in behaviors, the the gospel witness that we subscribe to. And the Supreme Court of Washington, somewhat unsurprisingly, unanimously said, no, the state can tell you who who can minister at your Christian mission and who can't. And so we've placed that question before the Supreme Court of the United States, and we're very hopeful and um, believe that there's a really good chance the court will take the case. And if they do take the case, um, then, you know, of course, they will be taking a serious look at whether that decision will be reversed. And so we're very hopeful that that will take us part of the way toward getting the uh, religious views of private companies. That's what I was saying. There there is a nexus there. Right, right, right. right, right, Exactly. And so, you know, the fact that it's a religious institution as opposed to a private individual Mm -hmm. is, you know, a slight difference, Mm -hmm. but it's in the right direction. No, it plants a flag in the law, as Hadley Arts likes to say, and I think that's extremely, extremely important. Mike, I'll let you go in a second because I want you busy (laughs) and not talking to me. But uh, but just uh, real quickly, because I I say this with no exaggeration. I mean, I grew up studying this stuff. This was always my passion. I never thought civil liberties would be – at such a discount in my lifetime as they are today. Is that an exaggeration in your mind? Have you ever seen such a discount of civil liberties as you have today? Or no, is it actually no. true? It's actually true. Okay. Um, and, but there's a countervailing truth, Seth, that's Good. important to say. Good. And that is, you know, if you, if I, I've been in this work full-time since 1980. Yeah. And when I started, there were really three lawyers that were dedicated to this full-time. John Whitehead in Virginia. I was in Washington State. I know State, John. Sure. And William Ball yeah. uh, was active in, yeah. in Pennsylvania. Yeah. Now there are thousands of us. Right. Not only you know the 80 or so employed by Alliance Defending, 3,000 allied attorneys. You have 80. Other, oh other good organizations, um, you know, First Liberty, ACLJ, Beckett, many others, Homeschool Legal Defense Association. There is an army uh, on the field that wasn't on the field 40 years ago. 
And so even though things are worse, our ability to fight back is better. And then good material like you have today, this didn't exist in, in the numbers that it, it exists. You know, in 1980, there was few and far between. But, right. but good programs, good sources of information, our ability to communicate the message to the people who believe in America, believe in freedom, is much better today than it was in 1980. So, so even though it's worse, our ability to fight back is better. So the, the, the net message is, let's fight. Well, there's no better fighter than you, so let me give a message to my audience, which is help ADF, uh, Alliance Defending Freedom, to be sure, and disregard my advice of um, not going to law school if you plan to go to law school for the purpose of working for ADF. That is a noble cause. The Constitution and the country deserve it. Mike Ferris, bless you, sir. Godspeed. Stay close. We're going to call you frequently, I fear. Thank you, Seth. Mike, as always, my pleasure. Go get them. I'm Seth Liebson, 602-508-0960. We will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. There was a caller. I think her name was Linda. She um, I want to invite her to call back. The comment was that she had a Bible-related correction. I, I would always want to be corrected on that if I misquoted or misstated something. Uh, please, 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 please let me know. Michael is in Phoenix. Hello, Michael. Hey, Seth. How are you? Good. How are you, sir? I'm very well. Thank you. Um, earlier, you guys were talking about deterrence. Yes. Okay. Um, I had an experience with J.J. Kale. Oh, an experience. <laughs> Well, I can't, not directly with him, but um, back in the early 80s, the mid 80s, I went about five or six years in a row uh, to the Calgary Stampede. Mm -hmm. Biggest rodeo in the world, right? What's that? Biggest rodeo in the world. It's the greatest rodeo in the world. It's it's amazing. And and so... uh, Thing I always wanted to go to when I was in high school. After I graduated, I started going every year, six years in a row. Anyway, one of the times that I was up there, one evening after the day of rodeo was was done, uh, I was in a little bar in Calgary, and they had live. And the uh, the owner of the bar said, "I have a friend that's going to come up and play for us." stood up on the table in the back. I didn't recognize him. I did not know who this guy was. Yeah. Well, uh, he, big deal. He starts to go. Oh, uh, that, that's, a, that's a great one. Um, he's a big deal. I think he was an influence on Clapton, J.J. Kale. Uh, I don't know if he's alive anymore. I'm not sure. But, Michael, great, great call. Great experience. I love that. Thanks for sharing it. Debbie Lesko coming right up. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. Delight, privilege, honor to bring back Debbie Lesko, Arizona's 8th Congressional District, uh, representing Arizona's 8th Congressional District, sitting on some of the most important committees as well from Homeland Security, Judiciary. Debbie, you just came back to the border. First of all, welcome back. Tell me what you found there. 
Well, thanks, Beth. You thanks bet. for having me on you your bet. show. Sorry about the time I... mix-up, by the way. We we had you scheduled earlier. That was my bad. Sorry about that. No, no worries at all. Uh, listen, I've been to the border a few times, but last week I was able to go to a border tour in Nogales, Arizona. So first I went to Eloy, Arizona, to an ICE facility, ICE detention facility, um, and, you know, toured and see what that was all about. Then I went down to Nogales. Um, and it, you know, it is such a crisis. I mean, I knew that, yeah. but it, it's just getting worse. It's getting worse. And I talked to Customs and Border Patrol agents that have been working there for 26 years. They have said they have never, ever seen it this bad. And quite honestly, it's the Biden administration and the Democrat policies that are causing all these people to travel thousands of miles and, and get into, you know, our country. Because once they claim asylum, they're basically in. They're in. And, uh, you know, anyway, we went to see uh, some border wall that was missing. So you have a 30-foot-tall border fence, and then these big areas where it's missing fence, all of the materials is laying there. Taxpayers have already paid for it. All they got, all Biden has to do is give the okay to finish the fence. But of course, on day one, he said, stop all construction of the wall. It's absolutely ridiculous. Um, also, I talked to um, the customs agent there. He said in the first 12 days in July, they seized at the port of entry uh, 500,000, half a million fentanyl pills. Right. And that's what they caught. Right. You know, and so all kinds of people are dying um, from overdoses in America. Uh, went down in a tunnel, uh, uh, and, you know, it smelled like heck. There was garbage everywhere, but our CBP agents go down there to uh, make sure that there's not trafficking, human trafficking, sex trafficking, drug trafficking. I mean, seriously, Seth, this is a total invasion. It's a total crisis. And Biden and, and his Democrat friends want open borders. I don't care what they say. When they say, oh, the borders are closed, that's a bunch of baloney. It is totally an out-and-out lie. You know, this fentanyl thing, you said you mentioned, Debbie, and uh, I, I saw the border. I went down to the border, I guess it was my third trip, about four months ago, five months ago maybe. And I saw what you saw, and you, you made it. I'll come back to fentanyl. I want to I want to pick up on this line. You said you've never seen it that bad. The agents are telling you they've never seen it that bad. The other thing they said to me, I wonder if they said to you as well, is they've never felt less supported by the federal government, by their employers. Well, they didn't say that directly to me, but I didn't ask okay. them, you know, because they're, they're in a bad situation, you know. But I can imagine. I mean, how discouraging it would be is like your job. They, they can't do their job. The they are, right. They, they, are, they, they are becoming they cannot, administrative clerks, just processing people, right? That's all they do. Yeah, I mean, and, and think of all the, in the Tucson sector, they said it's mostly adult, single adult male right. that cross there. And I, I asked them, I go, well, why are they trying to evade you? Because they said in Yuma sector, mostly they just turn themselves in. It's family units. They say, okay, I'm claiming asylum. Right. Well, why wouldn't these single males just turn themselves in? Because it's so darn easy. All you got to do is say, I claim asylum, and basically you're in. You're in country, right? And so can you? I, I, I said, well, wouldn't that lead you to believe that these people coming across are either have a criminal record already or they're 
you know, carrying drugs or something that they're trying to evade you, why wouldn't they just turn themselves in mm-hmm. like they do everywhere mm-hmm. else? You know, mm-hmm. it doesn't, it just doesn't make sense. And boy, th- this is, this is bad. And so I hope your listeners uh, hear this and tell their friends, tell their neighbors what the Biden administration and Democrats are doing. And it, it, it doesn't affect just the border towns. This, these people are going all over the country, and they're from all over the world. And the U.S. They're, military is transporting them to other parts of the country. It is just yeah. unconscionable. You it's know, the numbers were so so down under the Trump policies. You know, these people are smart. The cartels are smart. You know, they're not. They're not going to. They're you not know, wearing Trump shirts. They're not wearing Trump <laughs> shirts. They're not. Their, their <laughs> t-shirts no, aren't saying. Their Debbie. Sh- their t-shirts aren't saying Debbie Lesko. How many pounds? What, what did you say you saw of, of fentanyl? It was. Oxys? They said. They said it was a half a million no. fentanyl pills. No. In 12 days, the first Incredible. 12 days of July. Incredible. The I want first people 12, to... And that's what they caught. Right. That's, that's what, what was, they caught. That's right. That's what was seized as opposed to, we have no idea just, that what wasn't, knowing they're understaffed. Just in one port of entry. I just want people... The port of entry in Tucson and Nogales. <laughs> that's... Uh, that's just in one place. Well, I want, I, want, I want Americans to understand that two milligrams of fentanyl, two milligrams is fatal. Possibly less, but two milligrams is the official fatal yeah. dose. They, they they seized hundreds of thousands of pills at one sector in less than two weeks. As we get probably about the same time the news came out, Debbie, that over 90,000 Americans died from fatal drug overdose this past year or in 2020 last year. Uh, this is something this country used to care about. It just seems under Democratic rule we don't. It just seems people don't care anymore because I, the Democrats you know, don't. It- well, I care. You Good. care. Yes. I think Good. your listeners care. Yes, of course. Uh, it's just that we got to get the word out there because a lot of the mainstream media is on the Democrat side. They don't want to breathe anything, the bad things that are going on uh, at the border. And then, of course, I was down in a tunnel um, underneath uh, the streets uh, as well. And, you know, it's... It's 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 not good. And then there was sewage coming out. Right. There, there it, was, it was disgusting. Well, it's There's inhumane sewage coming out, and and uh, uh, you know it's in, inhumane for our CBP agents to have to stand in a bunch of sewage water. Um, you know, it's just not good, and it's not good for the migrants. It's not good for America. It's not good for anybody, mm-hmm. quite frankly, except the cartel. The cartel, that's that's who's benefiting. Biden's policies are supporting the cartel, because each one of these people that cross our border have to pay the cartel. They made that very clear. They said the cartel's totally in charge. Yep. Nobody crosses the border unless they pay the cartel. And if they don't pay the cartel, they're either killed or their family uh, has to, to pay, and they're sold into sex trafficking or sex slavery or other kind of slavery until their family pays. I mean, this is this is this is really bad stuff, and it's happening right here in the United States of America. And I'm telling you, Biden's policies, the Democrats' policies, are to blame. Evil has a face, and evil has a hand, and we're watching it take place on our border. The- most crushing thing to me is we could do something about it because we have, as you pointed out, that we are doing nothing about it. And uh, and and yet somehow DHS can muster muster the uh, muster the courage to tell Cubans that they will be returned home if they come here. True amnesty seekers. Uh, we we know we're in we're in a bizarre world, Debbie, but with your voice, hopefully propelling this story, 
as much as we possibly can. We're going we're gonna to make the country confront it. They have to. We have to. It's not just about the miserable conditions of those we are luring here, of course. It is about the misery that they will cause here. We don't need that. We don't expect that. That's not what a serious country does. Debbie Lesko is a serious congresswoman doing serious work for us. God bless you, Debbie. Thank you. Godspeed. We will talk soon. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, 602-508-0960. Tyranny, freedom of speech, plowing under. I don't know what I want to use to describe Nancy Pelosi's latest stunt. But, you know, we've been talking here about this January 6th commission she's put together so that we can understand what happened on January 6th. I say sarcastically, but that's that's her M.O. That's that's what she said was the reason for it. We need to have a hearing on January 6th. We all well know what this is about. This is about tying the rioters of January 6th to the entirety of the conservative movement and Republican Party. And, of course, if they can say it was inspired by Trump, though they tried to impeach him for it and were unsuccessful in convicting him, we're going to do it again. We're going to do it again. Nancy Pelosi and the legislation passed to garner this commission gave power to Kevin McCarthy to nominate five Republicans to this panel. As you know, I was a little ticked off at Mr. McCarthy's for not naming some proven, articulate congressmen who know how to handle this stuff. And instead, outside of Jim Jordan, appointed people, I'm not sure if they're ready for prime time or not. I hope so. I hope so. Or I did hope so. But we know who is. And outside of Jim Jordan, I thought it was an odd group of people, none of whose names you heard of or I had. Guess what Nancy Pelosi did today? And I'm surprised I'm making more news. She told Kevin McCarthy that Jim Jordan and another Jim Banks are unacceptable on the commission and she will not be welcoming them to the commission. In a press release, she wrote, Monday evening, the minority leader recommended five members to serve on the select committee. I have spoken with him this morning about the objections raised about representatives Jim Banks and Jim Jordan and the impact their appointments may have on the integrity of the investigation. I also informed him that I was prepared to appoint other representatives. And then she named three who we also haven't heard of. What's her problem with Jim Jordan? She says, it had been our hope to establish a bipartisan independent national commission. If I could say a word stronger than baloney, I would. She had no interest in an independent national commission. There's no need. The D.C. authorities have arrested 500, I think 500 plus people now. I don't think they need the help of the House of Representatives right now. I don't think they need Nancy Pelosi's help right now. 
what Nancy Pelosi knows, what all the Democrats know. And you see this in the statements about critical race theory. You see this in the statements uh, from the head of uh, the teachers unions. You see it all, all right there, that conservatives and Republicans who defend the presidency of Donald Trump are no different than the rioters of January 6th. This is why they justify their efforts at silencing and shutting down. Why do you think Josh Hawley had to find different hotels to hold fundraisers in and different publisher to publish his book? Because his original publisher and the original hotels fell victim to the kinds of things House Democrats and Senate Democrats have been saying. This man is a danger to the republic. That's what they get to say with impunity and contumacy. And now they think they have the temerity to tell us who we can't appoint as Republicans on a commission that requires Republican appointments. Here's what I would do if I were Kevin McCarthy. Respond to Nancy Pelosi that you won't be taking part in this kangaroo court. She can do whatever she wants. We're not going to grant it. We're not going to grant it any kind of authority by participating in this. It's not a joke. It's a danger, this commission. It's as much a danger to this country, if not more so, than Joe McCarthy. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Nice. Great. Eric Clapton Day. Uh, Bill, give me the communications director of the White House, please, Ms. Bedingfield, today on MSNBC. So Kate Bedingfield is the communications director in Joe Biden's White House. She's actually Jen Psaki's boss. Listen to her talking to Mika this morning. It's also the other thing the president has pointed out and spoke to when he was asked about this yesterday is it's, it is also the responsibility of the people creating the content. And again, I would go back to, you know, there are conservative news outlets who are creating irresponsible content that's sharing misinformation about the, vi- about the virus that's getting shared on these platforms. I would call that a war against the media. Irresponsible conservative networks. Who could she call in mind? Um, Joe Biden on Friday said Facebook was was killing people. Uh, this is this is one inch, one thin inch away from saying Fox News is killing people by spreading misinformation about vaccines. The communications department at the White House, if it wants to engage in the policing of misinformation, um, it, it shouldn't be. That is that 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 is a, a, a serious First Amendment violation in the first place. And we've read the Supreme Court dicta on First Amendment not having a test of truth and that it is not the role of government to tell us what is true and false. It is the role of us to tell the government what we want based on what we believe is true and false. But if they're going around policing misinformation that has large, con- tremendous consequences to our democracy. They might want to start with their own Jen Psaki, who early, only a week ago, only a week ago was repeating that on Twitter that Donald Trump, quote, knew about Russia offering bounties to Taliban to take out U.S. troops in Afghanistan and still defends Putin. That's what she wrote a week ago. That has been proven totally 
false. Or how about this? Um, how about this text uh, um, last year? Hunter Biden's story is Russian disinformation. Dozens of former intel officials say so. Oh, well, a do- dozen uh, officials say so, and Jen Psaki trusts them. The Hunter Board- Biden story is Russian disinformation. This is just wonderful. Um, how about um, Kamala Harris saying, no, I do not trust Donald Trump. I would not trust his word. I would not take the vaccine if Donald Trump says I have to take it. I will not take his word for it. And, of course, there's Joe Biden also saying the same thing about vaccines when he was not the president. I trust the scientists, but I don't trust Donald Trump. You have vaccine hesitancy and misinformation. Joe Biden and Jen Psaki, physicians, heal thyself, please. But if Donald Trump tells us I should ta- that we should take it, I'm not taking it. 